Hey Che, Colin, Spike Pit. Trust your Easter holiday is going well, mate. You still got another week yet, so don't panic. And uh reason I'm calling, I just wondered if you'd got that uh, 5e starter set yet, mate, and if you'd had a chance to have a look at it, because um, just curious as to what you thought, you know? Anyways, no pressure. <laughs> just uh, curious. Welcome back, Rescuers. I'm your host, Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Over recent weeks, there have been a few people in the Anchorite OSR community talking about the current edition of Dungeons & Dragons. As someone who got involved playing the 5th edition right from the days of the D&D Next playtest, I feel it's high time we gave the game some serious consideration. This episode, I want to ask, what's wrong with 5e? Why not just play the world's most popular role-playing game? This is Season 3, Episode 2. From the files I have scored away, it looks like I joined the D&D Next playtest on March the 20th, 2013. That was quite late, given that the official public playtest start date was 24th of May, 2012. Given that the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition starter set was released in July 2014, and was the first 5e product I bought, you can see that one way or another I've been on the sidelines of the game for a fair while. From the beginning... I was enthusiastic about the new edition. My Friday night gaming group arose from my return to actual role-playing in 1998, at the tail end of second edition. My mate Ian got me playing a little 2E, and I bought the player's options books, largely due to his encouragement. We made the change to third edition in 2000, and I was highly supportive of the switch to a unified D20 rolling mechanic. Looking back, it's easy to forget how revolutionary that change was. We played D&D solidly through 3rd edition into 3.5, which updated the game in 2003. We played quite a lot of 3.5, but with the rising tide of add-ons, I think I began to wobble with the system around 2005. It's hard to be sure because I didn't start blogging until 2010, and even then, my first gaming post didn't hit until July 2011, but I digress. In 2008... We switched to the 4th edition with some enthusiasm as well. That was until we began to really dislike the 4th edition. We played it, but I think the sense that the game was basically an overly complex tabletop skirmish game kind of grew. This was a big factor in my switching away from Dungeons & Dragons towards other games, especially those in the dawning old-school renaissance movement. Putting all this in context, two games are generally recognised as having birthed the OSR, Castles and Crusades in 2004, and Osric in 2006. The term old school probably entered popular vocabulary with the release of Matt Finch's Quick Primer for Old School Gaming in 2008. I discovered his booklet and saved a copy on my drive early in 2012. A year later, I began to pay attention to the D&D Next playtest. As I said, I started playing around with D&D again in March 2013. I was suspicious and initially dismissive of the content. I downloaded the updates in June and again in September 2013. I think I was talking about it with the guides on and off, becoming slowly more positive. Things I remember liking were the removal of skills, the idea of the skill die and the return of actual magic spells. I took part in at least three surveys and gave feedback. 
I strongly remember that I wanted a simpler, stripped-down D&D without all the rules bloat that had driven me away. I had declared myself back in the OSR on June the 1st. It's easy to see how this was a time when I was really struggling with my style of play. Judging from old blog posts, it seems that I had drifted towards the story game scene in my quest for simplicity. When the basic rules were released on July 3rd, 2014, D&D 5th edition was surprising. There was much more that was appealing than I had expected. I wrote a positive blog post about it on July the 6th. I compared the experience of reading it with opening the Moldvay Cook box set, which, in retrospect, was likely a memory of my friend's copy as I actually bought the BECMI Brit box and the BX Expert box in a weird misunderstanding of the differences between D&D way back in 1983. But the point is that I was enthusiastic about 5th edition. And I am mostly still pretty positive about it. It has, after all, revived D&D in a big way, even if I don't play it these days. We played a couple of sessions using the starter set at the school club, but in the summer months of 2014, the adults were not gaming very much. August the 15th, 2014 was the first game of D&D played with the Friday Night Gamers, trying to reboot the TCON game world again. I think we played TCON with at least four game systems. That's not a recipe for a stable game, by the way. Changing systems on a campaign is something I am very familiar with, but I I don't think it's helpful in the long run. Anyway, it looks like we happily played Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition all the way through until July 2016. I know I continued playing it online well into 2018 until we switched to Castles and Crusades in September last year. As regular listeners know, the school club was using D&D 5th edition as the introduction to the hobby until July 2018, when I rediscovered BXD&D, events which ultimately led to the creation of this very podcast. Thus, what I'm trying to say is that I've played quite a bit of 5th edition over the years. So what's wrong with it? Why don't I play it today? Before diving into what I don't like about 5e, I think it's only fair to talk about what I think makes the game basically fine. Remember I talked about my excitement when D&D Basic was released in July 2014? Well, that excitement has never really gone away. To my mind, the free-to-download Dungeons & Dragons basic rules are great. They were updated into a single file in November 2018, and if you are returning to the hobby, you should totally go and download it. It's free. It's also a nice introduction to all things Dungeons & Dragons in the 21st century, and it's a great game. Let me summarise what I wrote in December 2014. Quote, First of all, D&D is flexible. It's got something of the old school flavour in that, should you want, it's easy to adapt the game to your vision of fantasy. I find D&D plays very quickly and smoothly. We are loving the advantage-disadvantage rule, the fact that fights take mere minutes to resolve, and the flexibility of every class. So far, the two groups I am in have played every character class except the Sorcerer and the Warlock. All in all, we're having a really fun time with minimal pain. The best thing is that it's so easy to pick up the basics of the game. New players can grab a character sheet and get going quickly. In just an hour of play, I have newbies feeling confident with the game. They are focused on good play rather than how to play, end quote. 
I stand by those comments five years on. I've owned three copies of the Dungeons & Dragons starter set. Two copies got given away to aspiring Dungeon Masters at the school club. Both of those players are Dungeon Masters today and run their own campaigns. Each started with that starter set. In fact, the starter set is more important than I realised. It wasn't until Colin Spike Pit Green asked me about the box set that I realised how influential that little box has been. So much so that a couple of weeks ago during the Easter break, I went and bought a third copy. Here's what I discovered when I reopened it. 5e starter set. Um, had one of these back in 2014, 15, when D&D 5th edition first came out. Um, I've actually had two of them. Both of them got ended up given given to kids. But Colin, Colin Spike Bit Kareen uh, has managed to persuade me to sort of get another one, have another look at it, really. And um, I'm just going to open this and unbox this and talk about it for a couple of minutes. So, just taking the lid off. Um, inside, what you get is a set of dice. Um, this is quite nice. Get a full set of one of each of all the cool dice. D twenty, D twelve, D ten, D eight, D sixty four. Fantastic. And then you get, next thing in there is the, the module Lost Mine of Fandelva. And this is a, uh, what we're talking, 64-page booklet, full-colour paperback. Quite nice. It has a really handy thing on the, straight on the back, rules index. So core kind of things and where to look for those rules, um, which is really, really cool. Um, and it is an entire, by the looks of it, an entire kind of venture. Now, Colin described this as being kind of a bit of a sandbox, um, and so much I can't really comment. I've never really played it. I remember reading a bit, a bit of it, and I remember playing like the first bit of it um, with a couple of a couple of uh, uh, players, but basically never anything more than that. So that for me is going to be a new exploration. Underneath that, in the box, I've got a starter set rule book. Um, which is really nice. It's uh, basically a, what we're we looking at here, a few pages. We are looking at a two-page full-color booklet, starter set rules. Um, it's got kind of the core things, I guess. It's much more brief than the basic rules, which you can get for free from Wizards of the Coast. Um, but it does look like it's got everything you need, seriously, for this kind of level it looks like you can level up to level five which is cool um and has kind of like caught a few spells and um equipment and all that stuff what it doesn't have is how many characters okay and that's the bit you get in the basic rules along with loads of extra other stuff underneath that some character sheets so these are the uh, original style dnd character sheets and they have all the stats on the front on the one side and then on the back, I have um, information on the race, uh, the class, a bit of background for the character, and what happens when you level up to two, three, four, and level five, which is really, really cool. And there's character sheet four, um, a level one fighter, um, a level one wizard, um, a level one rogue, a level one cleric, um, and a second level one fighter. So that's five characters, which, you know, if you've got a group of six, that's everything that you need. And underneath that looks like a piece of space of cardboard, yeah. All right, so that is the contents of the D&D starter set. Very quickly unpacked for you. Those guys back. 
Um, I think this is great. I think this is for 12 and up. It says on the box. And it's your gateway to action-packed stories of the imagination. It contains the essential rules of the game, plus everything you need to get heroic characters on a perilous adventure in a world of fantasy. Good stuff. And you know what? In some ways, I mean, you're talking somewhere around about $20, you know, £15 maybe. Um, I think I looked on Amazon the other day and it was like £13 or something. Um, but it's a great starter set. If you don't mind spending a little bit and you don't want to wang out for the three cool rule books for D&D 5th edition, starter set is a great place to start. And um, what I'm going to do is once I get my head around it is I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it in more detail. But for now, that's what's in the starter set, guys. For me, the D&D starter set is a doorway. It's an entrance to the hobby of playing Dungeons & Dragons. And that's because it contains all of the elements you need to start playing. Some pre-generated characters, the cool rules of the game, and a pretty extensive adventure. It even has a set of dice, the one thing that so many players don't usually have lying around and often forget that they need. That said, it's not the whole game. The starter set doesn't tell you how to create characters, for example, and of course it only contains a small sample of the treasures and monsters that you can experience in the full game. For some, that's a flaw, but I think that's a strength of the design. The starter set isn't meant to be a complete experience. The clue is in the title. It's a set designed to get you started. And if you're a person coming cold to the hobby, a total newbie, I think you'll find it a great place to start. I think that anyone, experienced or not, can get a lot of value from the starter set, and it'll probably keep you playing for many months. But it's not the only way to make a start. If you go to the Wizards of the Coast D&D website, dnd.wizards.com, and bear in mind that it is D-N-D, not an ampersand, dnd.wizards.com, and if you then mouse over products, looking to the right, you'll see a panel labelled Resources, and within it a link to Basic Rules. I'll stick a direct link to that page in the show notes so it's easier for you to go there. But, well, if you go there, you can download a PDF file entitled Basic Rules. This was where I started playing D&D 5th Edition. I stand by it as an excellent way into the game. I was going to say an excellent way into the new game, but of course, 5th Edition has been around five years. It's hardly a new game. Basic Rules was updated in November 2018. It's such an important document that I recently had it printed up and spiral bound as a paperback tome. And in truth, it is my go-to starting point for gaming with the 5th edition. Why? Because it's got everything I need and nothing that I don't. If you're graduating from the starter set, then you'll be pleased to know that you don't have to pay a single penny to get the rules to create a character. Those rules are in the Basic Rules PDF. You get the full how-to instructions on making a character of your own design. There are four classes and four races on offer, the basics that underpin the game. Clerics, fighters, rogues and wizards, dwarves, elves, halflings and humans. And for me, that's all I need. 
The basic rules present in the starter set are developed a little in the basic rules book. I've not done a page-by-page comparison, but my guess is that they are largely identical. I expect that once you dive into the third section of the basic rules, you've got one or two more spells for both of the classes, but I've not really done a comparison. The final section is written for the Dungeon Master and talks about monsters, giving advice on building your own encounters and listing magic items. Again, I've not done a direct comparison, but I reckon there'll be one or two new things for the aspiring Dungeon Master to enjoy. Either way, whether coming to D&D cold using the basic rules or extending the basic set, I believe that this basic rule set is a good deal. For one thing, it's free of charge. For another, it's a good collection of the core material anyone would need to run a campaign for many years. On page 12, you've got the experience progression to level 20. And in the file are the class development rules through to level 22. So yeah, you're good to go for a lot of Dungeons & Dragons fun. But what you lack is options. Let's talk about the Dungeons & Dragons core rulebooks. What I mean is the three tomes. The Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual. The question of course is, do I need to buy these three books? Honestly? I'd have to say no, you don't need them. But if you enjoy Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, you're probably going to want them, eventually. Maybe sooner rather than later. Players will want the Player's Handbook because it gives them more choices. You get more classes, more races, more spells, and more choices for specialising your character at level 3. If you find the standard 4 classes and races limiting, you'll be delighted to explore races like Dragonborn and Gnomes, Dark Elves and Tieflings. Classes include Barbarians and Paladins, Sorcerers and Bards. There are also many more choices for backgrounds. All in all, the Player's Handbook gives you a beautifully illustrated, full-colour, glorious tome of the basic rules with a huge dose of extra material. Dungeon Masters will probably underestimate the value of the Dungeon Master's Guide, but in truth, it's probably the best DMG printed. I prefer it even to my first edition DMG because it contains a lot of similar material but is nicely updated and well organised. There are example dungeon maps and there are useful guidelines on creating your own settings and adventures. Lots of cool options for that time when you want something extra for your campaign. Magic items galore, lots of ideas on creating your own monsters, even stuff for modifying classes and races or even creating your own. It's an add-on package for the Dungeon Master. It's pretty useful. Essential? Not so much. Annoyingly, it's where all the extra magic items are, though. So if you want those items, you'll need to wang out 30 quid on the DMG. That brings us to the Monster Manual. Dungeon Masters will want this. In short, it's a lot of stats for monsters, hundreds of choices, that greatly expands the scope of your campaign. Want variant dragons? That will be in the Monster Manual. Being honest, I think I'd use the Basic Rules and the Monster Manual if I ran a campaign. Of the three extra tomes, the Monster Manual is the best value for the Dungeon Master. And players, as tempting as it might be to read all the Monster Rules ahead of play, please don't do it. Let the DM surprise you. It's much more fun that way. In summary, I reckon players will want the Player's Handbook. Dungeon Masters will want all three – But no one needs any of them. They are gravy, extra delights for your diet of Dungeons and Dragons. 
Start with the basic rules, add to spice. Speaking as an old school gamer, there are three major questions that I have about playing Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. What I mean is there are three general points that make me question whether I want to play the modern D&D. These questions are, is the power level too high? Are there too many choices? And is the popularity of 5th edition a good thing? The answers depend on your point of view. Is the power level too high? When I played Dungeons and Dragons in 1983 using the BECMI rules, my level 1 magic user could cast one spell per day. In 5th edition, that magic user will be a wizard with multiple cantrips that can be cast an unlimited number of times per day. And the most popular cantrip is Firebolt, a nice attack spell that delivers 1d10 damage every time. In other words, the wizard can zap foes with the same effect as the fighter with the damn big sword. The question is whether the high fantasy modern Dungeons & Dragons, in which characters have multiple special abilities and gain power at a relatively fast rate, whether that's too much. I guess that depends on your taste. It's a lot of fun to run around zapping and trashing foes, solving puzzles and shaking the world. If you're a player, I can't see why you'd want to step back to the early days in which you could get a meagre boost of hit points each level and usually have to wait many levels to even get a bonus to hit. To be fair, a straight comparison by system is too crude a comparison. Modern Dungeons & Dragons is simply played in a different style. What's neat is that 5th edition can be played in an old school manner if you strip out some of the options. Therein lies the reason why I would personally choose to DM using the basic rules only. But hey, there is nothing wrong with higher powered fantasy. It's a lot of fun. You just have to decide if it's your style of play. Are there too many choices? For the player, choices are a good thing. And that's easy for them to absorb because they only have to learn the options they choose to use in play. For example, if I choose to play a paladin, I only need to learn the paladin's powers and spells. So yeah, players want the extra choices. That's why they want to use not only the player's handbook, but all the other options in other books too. The problem with 5th edition is much more acute for the dungeon master. The accumulation of choices places an expectation to read, digest and understand those options for the DM. And that's a big ask. For this reason, my advice is to start simple and build over time. Remember, you could add the player's handbook, but you don't have to allow everything all at once. Allow players to choose one or two new classes. Add races slowly. Give yourself time to learn how each one works and get used to them. And that way, you'll not be blindsided by amazing powers all at once. Yes, there are many choices. It's only too much if you feel overwhelmed. I'd start slowly and add incrementally. Is the popularity a good thing? Well, how can it not be a good thing? Surely having thousands of new gamers at the table is a good thing. And yes, broadly speaking, that's probably true. Unless you don't want to play Dungeons and Dragons. If you play other systems and styles of play, 5e represents a barrier to getting new players. The reality is that many new players only want to play D&D. And that's understandable, especially if they've dropped 120 quid or more on the books. It's a fun game and, and people enjoy playing it. But it is just one game. One set of rules, one style of play, one level of power. There are many other options out there. 
I guess some of us who've been around a while are worried about the mass market appeal of D&D drowning out our hobby. But in truth, we probably shouldn't worry. Sure, it's hard getting players for other games, but that's always been the way of things. Dungeons & Dragons is popular. That opens doors for players to try other things. In time, I honestly believe that some of those gamers will try other games, and some of those experimenters may even like the other games more. We just have to give them time. Telling them they are narrow-minded or beholden to the dark illusions of one company won't make them change. It'll just piss them off. Rather than trying to guard some idea of what we prefer as the one true way is nothing but a closed gate to other people. I say relax. Keep gaming. Invite people if you get the chance. Of course, if you opt to run D&D 5th edition, then getting players will be much, much easier. It depends on what you want. What's wrong with Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition? Not much. The books are pricey, but you don't need to buy them. The game is high-powered, but you can tweak that to some degree. The game is complex, but you can simplify it to taste. And it's popular, giving you a lot of potential players. There's not really much to complain about there. And yet. Dungeons & Dragons is a great way into the hobby, but it's not the only way. It might not even be the best way in. It's just the widest doorway, the shiniest option, and the way wherein the crowd is currently heading. As Mark Twain said, when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. I'm reflective. I am pausing. And I'm not sure. Is Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition the best game? Not in my view. It's just the game with a huge market share, and it's basically good enough as games go. It's a good game, but I am not convinced that it's a great game. But good enough is good for most people. And it might well be enough for you. If D&D gets you back to the table, I'm all for it. Game on. Nice one. That sounds cool, mate. I look forward to hearing how you get on. And uh, I'm totally with you on them starter rules. I think they're a nice, tidy little set of rules. Throw in a few pre-gens, dish them out to the players. Bob's your uncle. Lovely. Roleplay Rescue is supported by a small but dedicated community of role players, people just like you who fund the podcast production through the Roleplay Rescue Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash RPG Rescue. Once again, I'd like to give a big shout out to all the supporters of the show whose patronage helps to keep the flame burning. Here then is the order of battle. The mighty sword bearer, Mark Grahan. The brave shield bearers, Tim Shorts, Pete Finner, Ray Otis and Frank Turfler. The intrepid torchbearers, Geoffrey Collier, Spencer Game, Jason Hobbs of Hobbs and Friends, Richard Fraser, Matt Jackson, Darren Green, aka Arfed, Glenn Robinson, Edwin King, Christian Richards, Peter Skeynes, and Vance A. 
thank you, all of you. Game on. Hey, Che, just wanted to say great kickoff to season three. I'm looking forward to whatever you have in store for the rest of the season. And I couldn't agree more that as a GM, we really get to experience flow more so than anybody else. In fact, as a publisher who writes and illustrates my own adventures, I probably experience flow more than anybody else in the hobby in that regard. And I just wanted to thank you for helping me to put a name on uh, or define what it is about the hobby that makes it so rewarding and enjoyable. You know, perhaps there really is magic in knowing the true names of things. Frank, thanks so much for calling in. Um, wow. <laughs> I actually really nervously recorded um, that episode. I didn't know how it would go down. And um, it was amazing to hear from you, especially hearing from you, Frank, before anyone else got to hear that episode. Frank's a patron, guys, and he uh, he gets early access. So I actually had that message before it went live to the general public. And um, it was a really heartwarming moment, actually, because I, I kind of, I'd, I'd twitched and I'd almost got close to, like, pulling the episode because I was that uncertain uh, that it would go down well. And it is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to have such generous words. So thanks, honestly. It really is good to have you say such things. Got a couple of nicknames bubbling up there. Um, I don't know whether to go for Chayla Crunch or Crunch Meister Chay. Man, that's the question they're all asking, Chay, after that awesome role play rescue. What a way to kick off the third season. And, um, man, I'm going to have to listen to it again. I'm all crunched up with emotions and ideas, man. Ah. Excellent, excellent. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought you got in some really, really cool points. Really, um, man, you know, it's pretty deep, dude. And my my initial takeaway, that the thing that stood out for me was this idea of giving yourself permission to do stuff. That is crucial, crucial, crucial. You've got to give yourself that permission to do the stuff that needs to be done. Take care. Colin, I'll take Crunchmeister, I guess. I quite like that, actually. That's that's kind of cool. Uh, Colin Spikepick Green there. Thank you so much for calling in again. And I guess in this episode, you've kind of been at the top and the tail of it, really. Um, your messages, man, they, they really are encouraging. And, and thank you again for that one. Uh, glad you enjoyed the episode. I, I don't know. What am I going to say about that? Not a lot, really. I guess if you've got something from it, guys, I'm really, really happy. And Colin, it's really good to hear from you sort of validating this idea that we need to give ourselves permission. You know, it's 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 something we need to do. We need to say it's okay to play and then give ourselves permission to do the things that need to be done to make that game, that play, that thing a reality. So, yeah, guys, thanks so much. And uh, Colin, Dude, you've inspired an entire episode. Um, so, you know, that's what you get, I guess. <laughs> there's, there's great stuff. Thanks. Thanks, man. Mm-hmm.
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for Roleplay Rescue and tap on the messages button to leave yours. You can also drop comments onto the Roleplay Rescue pages on MeWe or Facebook. Just search for Roleplay Rescue on those social media platforms and you can follow the pages with an easy click. You can also email me via hello at rpgrescue.com. Finally, don't forget that you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash rpgrescue. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next weekend with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.